Ryan Noonan is playing on the radio, baby. I want to thank Ryan Noonan for joining on. Holy sh! Ryan's back! It is Brian Noonan, 720 WGN. Yes, oh my goodness, a rare nighttime appearance here until 1 a.m. Big show planned. They are always more fun, though, when you get involved. 312-981-7200. That is the phone number. When you call in, you'll be talking to Michael Heideman. He is the executive producer of the big broadcast. If you are nice to him, you get to me. That's how it works. Uh, you can also use that number to text. Don't ask me about the technology. That's just how it works. You can call. You can text. Same number. Uh, and you can also keep up with me on social media. It's Brian Noonan Show on Facebook and Twitter. So we do have a big show tonight. We will be talking to Payal Patel. After uh, 10.30, she is the uh, executive director of, uh, she's the spokesperson for Navy Pier. They have a, a very exciting and fun pop-up for the Halloween season. If you're looking for something to do downtown, you want to go out to the pier, we'll talk all about that. We are also going to talk to British actor and playwright David Payne. He is in town for a show that opened last night at the Broadway Playhouse. We will talk to him all about a night with C.S. Lewis. And then Daniela Caruso is going to join us. She is uh, she works with Funkenhauser Restaurant on the west side. She has been working uh, on behalf of victims of domestic abuse here in Chicago because... Uh, you'll be surprised about the resources that are available in a city of our size for uh, victims of domestic abuse. So Danielle, w- Daniela will come in and uh, get into that with us. And then the director of the National Museum of Mexican Art, Thelma Arango, will be here. And we'll talk about two big events they have coming up. One of them, the big Day of the Dead ball on uh, November 2nd. A lot of fun. You can get your, face, uh, get your face painted like a sugar skull, Michael. Go dance around. Have some fun. Uh, so we'll talk about that. And then there's a lot. Oh, man. Probably the most controversial story to come out of the newswires in uh, the, I'm going to say the last decade. I may be overselling it a tad. There is a uh, new poll for the best and worst Halloween candy, and I know well that doesn't sound as heavy as the other stuff you're going to talk about. Well, you don't have eight giant bags from Costco in your closet trying to uh, in preparation for trick or treating next week. And I was going to be good and not open those bags, but somehow one of them, uh, the seams uh, were not uh, steamed together. Well, one of the bags is opened, and that's. Uh, proving quite dangerous around the house with uh, with all the candy so we'll get to that as well i um this is but the big story if you are uh if you are a parent trying to figure out what you're going to do with your kids again tomorrow you know the teacher strike is ongoing cps and the uh, uh support staff all on strike moving into its uh seventh day fifth day of classes tomorrow things got heated today this is how uh, you know, everybody, everybody's everybody got their side that they sympathize with. I always come down on the side of the teachers. The teachers are uh, hardworking people. Uh, I don't want uh, I, I hear this anytime I say this. Well, you know, the teachers, they get summers off, and uh, they don't have to pay Social Security. Uh, but, well, they don't, they, they don't pay Social Security, but they also do not get any benefits from Social Security. So uh, that is not... That's not a valid argument. And, quite frankly, they, you know... They get a couple months in the summer where they're not working, but the pay is the pay is stretched out. It's still it's still not enough when you take into account. 
I'm wondering how many of us go into like I come into work here at WGN and I ha- pretty much have everything I need. You know, they have a copier and the paper is there if I need to print out stories. The equipment is here that I need. I can get a cup of coffee. You know, uh, so it, it's pretty good. All the equipment is here. Michael is here. Everything I need to put on a broadcast is here. A CPS teacher or a teacher in any other district, no matter how wealthy that district is, those teachers are laying out, on average, a few hundred dollars a year out of their own pocket just to get basic supplies to take care of their children. Now, we won't argue all of the all of the issues of the strike here, but I want to know from you where your allegiances lie. What What are you doing if you are a CPS parent and now you're looking at the fifth day where your kids aren't in school? It's it's hard to stay sympathetic to the teachers when you're trying to figure out what to do with your kid or when you're looking at your high school sophomore or junior and you're like they're missing days that they really need to get ready for testing and, and you know all the all the things you need to be in school for whether you're you know whether you're a real good student and you're breezing through school. You still need to be in there to get those get those grades, get the the things done that you need to get done. And if you're a struggling student, you really need to be in school. So while I do while I do sympathize, and my uh, my allegiance lies with the teachers, I can understand where some CPS parents are getting are getting a little frazzled, and the mayor is trying to leverage that against the union. Say you know. People are people are not going to not going to put up with this. I think it was naive of the mayor to ask the union to go back to work while they continue to negotiate. That never works out well if you're a, if you're a union to just say, oh, you know, what, we'll capitulate to the to the powers that be, and yeah, we'll go back to work, and that'll be fine. I'm sure I'm sure all our demands will be met. No, they won't. This uh, this this concerned me a little bit today, though. There was there was a report. Uh, that the union is running civil disobedience, civil disobedience training classes uh, in case members need to, quote, ratchet up the pressure later this week. Um, I think that would be a horrible idea. I'm all for the marches like the ones I had today. I think that's great. I think you need to get out and you need to, uh, you need to show the public what's going on. You need to make that statement to the mayor and to the school board. But if things start getting to the point where there's civil disobedience and, God forbid, something gets violent, or you start really, really impacting people who are trying to get to work, not not people who are trying to get to work in the schools, or I'm not talking about crossing a picket line, I'm talking about people who have nothing to do with the schools, and now all the streets are closed because you're marching. Okay, well... People will people will put up with that for a little bit because everybody understands you got to get out there you got to let your message be known. But what about after the fourth day when you can't get to your job in the loop because all the streets are closed because of another protest? Suddenly, your support of the teachers is going to start to wane a little bit. Or if you're in the third week and you you still have to find somewhere to take your kids, and all of a sudden, you know. There's a lot of people who don't have that extra scratch to pay for daycare or or different kinds of programs, and you can only ask relatives and friends so often to take care of your kids. And now, that's not a problem for everybody, but it's a problem for enough people. 
you gotta it's gonna it's it's gonna turn i think the longer any strike goes it's harder for the striking entity to get that public support and i think in general teachers usually have it to a point there's always people i'm always amazed by people though who seem when whenever uh, whether it's uh, cps going on strike which they haven't done in a while or a local school uh, teachers union going on district going on strike there seem to be a lot of people who are really against teachers and i don't understand that except for the fact that maybe you had a really really horrible academic <laughs> career you know i'll tell you what from the time i went to kindergarten i hated those teachers they were always on my back the man with his boot on my neck making me write and add and all that kind of stuff. I'm not doing that. You can't tell me what to do. I don't need to add. Nap time's for suckers. I'm not taking a nap. So so it's all it always comes up to people who are uh who are angry. Now, I do want to talk about this uh, civil disobedience because strikes are not what they used to be, and I think that's a pretty good thing. 312-981-7200. If you are a CPS parent, I'm wondering how you're weathering this storm. And if you are a teacher, a CPS teacher or a support staff member, and you're listening to this, call in. Tell us. I'd like to hear from the rank and file. We hear from your spokespeople all the time, but we we rarely get to hear from the rank and file except for a quick soundbite that a uh, reporter gets on the street. 312-981-7200. We're talking about the big story in Chicago, which is the teachers' union and the support staff still on strike. There's more. It's Brian Nooner, WGN. Uh, another day of class is canceled tomorrow. Uh, the the uh, union saying that they are going to give out uh, disobedience, civil disobedience training in case things need to get ratcheted up, ratcheted up, which I think is a bad idea. We don't need to ratchet it up. People understand what's going on. I think, uh, granted, the, the mayor and the city council don't really bow to public pressure, but I think it's good for teachers to have the public on their side, especially since the teachers are educating the public of the future. So it's good to it's good to do that. You also don't want because the strike will end. And at some point you these teachers have to go back and talk to those kids again and talk to those parents again. And it's hard to forget things that happen during a strike. And civil disobedience uh, God forbid, violence, none of that gets forgotten easily. And it won't get forgotten when all of a sudden you have to go back in front of your third graders and they saw on the news that uh, Mr. or Mrs. Johnson got arrested at a protest. If you're picketing in front of the school, if you're having a march and everything is calm and law-abiding, that's fine. This is, uh, this is an issue that comes up all the time. It's something that is unfortunate. But it is not something that needs to escalate to a level of violence or quote-unquote civil disobedience. Uh, from the 708, Brian, one of my daughters is a teacher. Uh, however, I listened to some of the speeches today. They made me sick. Many are turning this into black and white. Uh, they started talking about shootings. Uh, I'm starting not to defend them. Now, I, I have not heard anybody make those claims. And the district, as the Chicago Public Schools, is made up of hundreds of thousands of students of all races, all creeds, uh, all ages so this this is not this is not the issue to try to make into a into a racial thing because you have you have some very good chicago public schools in affluent neighborhoods their teachers are on strike just like the teachers in schools in the less fortunate neighborhoods so this is this is just a matter of 
and it's not. Most of the teachers are saying the the pay is not really the big issue. Pay is pay is always an issue on a strike. But they're looking at other things. They're looking at class size. They're looking at uh, having nurses in all the buildings, having enough special ed teachers in the buildings and in their and classrooms in the buildings. And those are things that if you're even if you don't have kids in school anymore or you never did, those aren't hard things to wrap your head around and say, these these issues make sense. I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom. I've, I've done some substitute teaching. If you get a class that has 30, 35, 40 kids in it, there's no way those kids are getting individualized education. There's no way they're getting enough help. If you have 25 kids in a class, it's hard. It's hard to, to find the kids that really need help. You're, it's easy for the ones who don't need help. The, the kids who are a little more advanced academically are always going to do okay. Maybe they're not getting challenged as much, which is unfortunate. But the ones, it's, it's the ones in the middle who fall through the cracks. If you're an average student, that's the most dangerous place to be. Because advanced students usually get attention. Students who are really low tend to get attention because they're noticed a little more, whether it's tests or in-class performance. You, you notice the kids who really are not getting it. And you can try your best to help them, but there's still, there's still only so much time when you're dealing with that many people. Uh, I'm not a teacher, but I have family members that are. Not one of them works just an eight-hour day. They go in early and stay late. They take home papers and report cards. Unfortunately, they are also asked to be nurses, counselors, and social workers. They also pay taxes and have students in CPS. These kids are the future. How can we not support them? 708, I agree with you. You have to, you have to, to look at this and go, these people who've chosen this profession and don't, you know, I don't want to hear, well, they chose what they want to do. Everybody chooses what they want to do. You can't, you can't penalize them forever because they chose to educate our children. That's not, so, that's not something we should go, well, too bad. Uh, you're stuck with that. No, no, no. You've got you to gotta get it. As, and listen, I come, from, I come from an education background. My mom was a teacher. My dad was an administrator. So I've seen it from both sides. I've seen a strike happen where things got so violent at my dad's school, the car came home covered in grease and the antenna was broken off. But still, he never, he never bad-mouthed the unions. You know? All right, we got to do this, then it's going to be news time. 720 WGN. Hi, this is Lindsay from House Smarts Radio, and I'm inside Builder's Supply Outlet looking for a new vanity top for my bathroom. Tom, show me what you got. Lindsay, your timing is perfect. We just got in another shipment of gorgeous granite and quartz vanity tops that you're going to love. You know, we always have over 400 vanity tops in stock to choose from. 400? That stresses me out. Looks like I'll have to ask your expert team for help. They know exactly how to create beautiful bathrooms. I want something unique and that'll last for years. Quality is our specialty. Our stock vanity tops are thicker than those found at the big box stores. Right now, we're selling 25-inch vanity tops for just $199 with a free undermount sink. See store for details. That's 30% less than our competitors. Why pay more for a lesser quality product? This offer won't last long, so hurry in. I've got my vanity top. Now, come get yours at The Edge Kitchen and Bath in Broadview or The Edge in Orland Park. Or visit us online at buildersupplyoutlet.com. High-end look without the high-end price. The Edge Kitchen and Bath Showroom from Builder Supply Outlet. 
It's truck month at your local Chevy dealer. Save thousands on the all-new 2019 Chevy Silverado. Or, during Chevy Truck Month, make no monthly payments for 90 days. It's your choice. Own it. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com for details. And put on your big boy pants. We're going beast mode. My name is Bob, and I had a heart procedure from Northwestern Medicine. My cardiologist diagnosed me with a life-threatening heart valve disease and enrolled me in an innovative clinical trial. With a grandbaby on the way, I'm grateful he did. Northwestern Medicine performs more TAVR procedures, a minimally invasive aortic heart valve replacement, than any other health system in Illinois. Northwestern Memorial Hospital ranks highest in Illinois for cardiology and heart surgery by U.S. News & World Report. Northwestern Medicine. Better. With dental implants from Eon Clinics, you'll smile without covering your mouth. Smile and eat your favorite foods again. Eon Dental Implants will help you get back what you've been missing with dental implants that look, feel, and function like real teeth. For a free consultation, call 844-365-SMILE or online at eonclinics.com today. That's eonclinics.com. Dental implants from Eon Clinics. Smile for life. This is the John Williams Show. What? What are you doing to me, Michael? Everything, everybody's somebody else's show. Uh, on the other side of the news, we are going to talk to a Navy Pier spokesperson, Payal Patel. She uh, She's going to tell us about a very cool uh, little pop-up that's happening for the hol- Halloween holidays at Navy Pier. So you can, uh, you can go check that out. It's a lot of fun, so we will hear all about that. And then... After 11 o'clock, David Payne will join us. He is a British actor and playwright. He is starring in a new production at the Broadway Playhouse, brought to us by Broadway in Chicago, A Night with C.S. Lewis. So we'll find out. A fascinating career has had David Payne. That was the most awkward sentence I have ever uttered out of my mouth. But David Payne has had an unbelievable career with a very strange beginning. So we'll find out all about that and uh, so much more. And then uh, start Get ready, because it's going to be no-holds-barred candy debate after midnight. Brian Noonan on 720 WGN. Glad you're with us tonight. Lots to get to. Halloween a week away. If you are looking for something fun to do, not only with the kids, but with your friends or anybody... You may want to head down to Navy Pier. Always a lot going to Navy Pier. Michael, I am old enough to remember when Navy Pier was just a concrete abutment that jutted out into the lake, and uh, every once in a while they'd have Chicago Fest on there, and you'd wander out on this dilapidated thing and pray that it didn't fall into the lake. Wow, I thought you were going to say you were there when it was still the Navy. I actually <laughs> I actually poured the pylons that hold <laughs> Navy Pier up uh, out of Lake Michigan, and now now Navy Pier is the uh, centerpiece of the lakefront. Oh, yeah. A huge tourist attraction, uh, a great place to go. If, if you're a resident, don't overlook it. Uh, Payal Patel is the uh, spokesperson for uh, Navy Pier, and she joins me now. Uh, Payal, thanks for coming on. I know tonight you guys had a huge gala over there, so you are probably uh, you are probably out uh, in your Sunday finery having a good time. <laughs> I sure am. I literally just stepped out of the gala to talk <laughs> to you guys. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. We'll let you get back galaing pretty soon. But there's a lot going on. First of all, what kind of what kind of gala was happening for Navy Pier tonight? Tell everybody about that. Yeah, so we were um, hosting a fundraiser to support Navy Pier's free year-round public programming. So, you know, at what you're talking about in regards to Navy Pier being the centerpiece of our lakefront, but 
now it's not only just a tourist destination, but we're a place for locals to um, come to regularly as well. And so we've created a lot more programs that appeal to locals, and that includes fitness programs, live music, and, you know, um, so many different opportunities for local people to get involved and get engaged with the pier. I uh I've been going because uh, the children's museum my niece we went took my nieces there that the children's museum is great uh there's all kinds yeah. of as you said there's all kinds of activities and programs going on all the time uh it mm-hmm. it has grown so much over the last few years and now for Halloween there's a lot of stuff going on and one of them is just mm-hmm. this really cool pop up that you guys have going so, again, our programming is being underwritten by fundraising support, and so everything is free and open to the public, including Pure Pumpkin Lights, which is happening all of this month. And what that is is a series of pumpkin pop-up displays all across the pier that um, are – it's just a series of uh, carved – jack-o'-lanterns that are lit up at night but are also very cool during the day a lot of people are posting up in front of it and taking photos it's that instagram worthy experience that we're trying to create here at the pier and it's really working because we every time i pass by a display someone's taking photos in front of it and that's exactly the idea how many people a year come to the navy pier nearly nine million every year and are yeah. we, do we? And, is there a breakdown? I know. I know. As you said, it's not just for tourists. Uh, a lot of locals. Come. Is there mm-hmm. a breakdown? Do we know percentage wise? We sure do. Of, 60, I more than fifty percent. Are, exactly. are Chicago yes. residents or locals? Yes, more than 60% are Chicagoland um, area residents. And so, you know, that just disputes the whole idea that Navy Pier is a tourist destination. It's not, you know, we have facts that, that, that prove that's not the case. Right. So it is really starting to resonate with locals. And our programs are really meant for, for locals, including Pier Pumpkin Nights and the Halloween activities that we're having. So we're also having um, trick-or-treating this Saturday, the oh. 26th the 27th on Sunday and 31st on Halloween day. And what that really is, is an experience, is an opportunity for um, locals to come out and bring their families and have a pure wide trick-or-treating experience. All of our tenant partners and um, our, you know, the retail and the dining places will all have candy for um, families to come by and pick up and, we really wanted to make the pier very accessible and, and friendly and safe for um, an enjoyable experience, for especially for those communities that might not have a very safe yeah. and enjoyable experience in their communities. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea, and it is it is good to give people a safe place to go because it's not like when mm-hmm. I was a kid, or I don't know, maybe when you were a kid, where you could just the kids would just go out for hours and hours in the neighborhood. A lot of neighborhoods, like you say, you can't do that anymore. So why not come right. down here? You get to see the uh, the jack o' lantern pop up, the pumpkin. Uh, uh, pier lights, and you get to walk mm-hmm. around. Now, what about the? There's a haunted maze uh, Friday night. There is. So yeah, if you can handle a, a little bit of a spooky experience, I recommend the haunted maze and. The Amazing Chicago, a fun house maze, has been transformed into a haunted maze with, um, it, you know, people, <laughs> characters popping out at you every <laughs> twist and turn. And, you know, there's. I, I just went through it the other day, and as a grown adult, I will tell you that I was scared. Really? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So it's just my experience. I, there's something here to do for everybody, from, you know, kids, youth, to adults. Um, and Haunted Maze is one of those experiences. And what time does the Haunted Maze run? Is that an all-day thing on so, Friday or just in the evening? 
Yeah, Friday, Saturdays, Sundays, and Halloween Day, and it's after 5 p.m. Okay, after 5 p.m. So there's a lot of a lot of Halloween stuff. We mentioned the pier pumpkin lights, and that's you can just go anytime, walk around the pier and see the beautiful pumpkins, get your selfie, go on the gram, ah. make, let everybody know that you're there. Do you have a hashtag, Navy Pier? What's the, what's the hashtag for pier pumpkin lights? Is it hashtag pier pumpkin it's lights? It's pier pumpkin lights. All right, yes, perfect. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, hashtag Navy Pier and hashtag pier pumpkin lights. See, look how and savvy I am. <laughs> We have a we have a cosplay contest on Saturday Ooh. too. So you know, come dress in your favorite pop culture fictional character, and there's going to be a, a a whole contest going on with a judging panel, and the winner will win three hundred dollars in oh, nice. a Visa gift card. Yeah. Wow. Now, if you missed any of these days for these Halloween activities, you can always go to navypeer.org. Uh, the okay. the schedule is right there on the homepage. Let's talk because Halloween will be over tragically by the end of next week, and we, you've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times the the year round programs that are going. So as we as we move from Halloween then into the rest of the autumn, and we start heading toward the holiday season, what kind of what kind of big events do you have coming up at the pier? So immediately after Halloween, we have Sequence Chicago, which is a live music series. It's going to happen peer-wide, and you can find that information on the website as well. And then people always look forward to our annual Fifth Third Bank Winter Wonder Fest, which is that indoor playground. It's transformed into a literally a winter wonderland with um, so many rides and attractions and it's something great to do indoors when especially when you know chicago weather tends to turn into what we call a polar vortex so when it's cold (laughs) out and school classes are out come down to navy pier enjoy winter wonderfest an indoor attraction that has an indoor ice skating rink one of the largest in the midwest and definitely in the city so there's so much to do, and we welcome people here year-round, like you said. And when does when does Winter Wonderfest start? It kicks off uh, the first week in December and runs through uh, January 12th. All right, and there's there's all kinds of things from from all the great all the great Halloween stuff that we mentioned, the Haunted Maze, the cosplay on the pier, mm-hmm. which is Saturday, the uh, the yeah. Navy Pier, uh, Pumpkin Lights. You've also got the Chicago Shakespeare Theater over there. You've got the Children's Museum. Uh, all the mm-hmm. restaurants are doing things. You've got uh, Harry Carey's is doing tailgating for the Bears game. So Navy Pier, right. Navy Pier is a place to go. Plus, one of the nice things is there's parking, which is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can go, oh, well, it's, it's accessible with public transportation. Everybody can get there on public transportation. But if you're coming from yep. somewhere and you want to drive, the garage is there. Are you know? There's a lot of spaces you can usually find. I've never had a problem finding somewhere to park, and it's great yeah. just to walk around and and be out it on really the lake is. like that. Yeah, you know, I say you can get to the pier every single form of transportation except for flying, <laughs> and we're going to work on that. <laughs> you can come on a boat. You can come by bus. You can come by foot. You can come by a car. So, yes, there's plenty of ways to go to the pier, very accessible. And then once you're here, there's no views like it. And I don't know if you heard, but we recently opened Offshore, the world's largest rooftop bar in the world, confirmed by Guinness World Records. Really? No, so, where, is, uh, yeah. where is that on the pier? Is that it's on the uh, east all... end of the pier. Okay. Yeah, right by Festival Hall. So, you know, for those who are considering their holiday plans, if you so those parents who are coming to Winter Wonderfest, let your kids loose in Winter Wonderfest and then go on up to Offshore and have a drink because you're likely going to need it. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, wow. it's a great... It's a great place to go enjoy and unwind, and the views there are amazing, and it is year-round. So we have a glass enclosure okay. that is climate-controlled, so it's heated, and it can be air-conditioned in the summer. 
come have a cocktail and still enjoy the beautiful views of the Chicago skyline, the lake, and everything. That sounds terrific. And one thing we didn't mention, there's if you want to be a little uh, fancier for Halloween, the, the Haunted Halloween Ball is uh, this Saturday as well, correct? Mm-hmm. That's that, right. That's there in the Grand Halloween Ballroom. Ball. Yeah. And is that... Yep, the is, Aeon Grand Ballroom. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that. About the ball. Yeah, so, you know, we, we encourage people to show up in costumes, but it's not necessary. But it's it's meant to be a fun Halloween experience. You can come dance. There'll be a live DJ at bar that's included with the ticket price. So go on to NavyPure.org, and you can track down those tickets and have a fun time with your family, friends, whoever, um, you know, in your costumes or whatnot. Well, there is a lot of there's a lot of great free activities at the pier. There are a lot of other activities. If you go to navypier.org, you can find out everything. But don't discount the pier for Halloween because there is a lot going on. Halloween at Navy Pier is something you do not want to miss. Pier Pumpkin Lights is going on right now. You can wander around, get your picture with all these uh, jack-o'-lanterns either at night when they're lit up or during the day for a great picture. There's trick-or-treating uh, this weekend and then on Halloween Day. Cosplay at the pier on Saturday, so a lot going on. Payal, I know you need to get back to the gala. We have kept you away from uh, the glitz and the glamour for much too long, but I do appreciate you taking some time, and we hope to see you at the pier very soon. No worries at all. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Good Thank you so you much too. for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks. Have a great night. That's Payal Patel. She is the spokesperson for Navy Pier, navypier.org. Some of you are probably thinking, who knew there was so much going on at the pier? Well, now you do. And if you go to NavyPier.org, you will have a lot of fun. I uh, I don't know. I'm not... Back in the day, I used to enjoy the haunted houses and the haunted mazes. I don't know if my heart can take it now. Um, I'm more of the guy who likes to sit in, the, uh, sit in the house and give out the candy. I enjoy Halloween quite a bit, but... I don't need some uh, young punk jumping out at me from uh, from some haunted house trying to give me a heart attack because I'm I think I've reached that age where I just uh, my arm reflexively goes out if somebody comes at me and I don't need to be you know that's bad press I get busted at some haunted house because I took a swing at some kid in a zombie mask that's not gonna that's not gonna go over well with the new with the new bosses. <laughs> Newton go, strikes again. Yeah, they're going to go, oh, Newton guy, we, we've heard about him. He's the one who punches teenagers on Halloween, right? Yeah, we don't need him anymore. He's For some reason, this is his 10th haunted house, too. He must be really stressed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he keeps going. He obviously detests them, but he can't stay away. Yes, it's like uh, it's a weird relationship. It's one of those weird symbiotic relationships. Speaking of weird relationships, we're going to take a break, and I will tell you about a man and his relationship with unlimited soda pop, and it it did not end well. There's your tease on WGN. Yeah, you can sell soda pop and you can offer people as much as they want, but, uh, you know, in this litigious society that we live in, sometimes people go way too far. Uh, and this is one example of that. Now, uh, listen, I know if you go to a theme park, you, the prices are exorbitant. No matter where you go, whether you go to Six Flags, whether you go to Disney, whether you go to Universal, it's an, it's an expensive proposition to go to a theme park. And a lot of them offer you some sort of incentive to make you think that you're saving money. Uh, for example, Universal uh, offers a uh, 16-ounce Coca-Cola Freestyle Cup, which, is, which supposedly comes with unlimited refills all day. Not a bad deal. That's not a bad deal. Mm-hmm. It's for $17. Then you can go back the next day. If you're going to another park, you keep your cup. You bring it back for 9 bucks. You can drink pop all day, which 
you know, I'm no doctor, but that's probably not a great idea. What more could you ask for? Well, Michael, it's funny you should ask. Mm -hmm. Because if you were a man from the Bronx, you would ask for more. Because this man bought this cup at Universal Studios in Florida. uh, And he is suing NBC Universal after he paid for a quote-unquote unlimited refill soda machine pop uh, deal, and only to discover he had to wait a whole 10 minutes between refills. <sighs> so now he is furious. <laughs> this man is beside himself, Louis Arnaud. He's, uh, to quote the article, he is bubbling with anger. <laughs> I like what they did I there. I love when the New York Post starts, uh, starts writing. <laughs> they are crazy. So he's suing NBC Universal for false advertising. He uses the term, quench my thirst, numerous times throughout this story, which... No human being says, I'm drinking pop to quench my thirst. That's just not a phrase we use that often anymore. Mm -mm -mm. I'm going to quench my thirst. It's like a Sprite commercial or something. Right. It's marketing. It's a ploy. It's a way to lure you in. Are you thirsty? We can quench your thirst. I don't know. I'll be honest. When I used to drink a lot of pop, it always just made me thirstier. I always wanted more pop. Mm -hmm. Uh, You drink water, your thirst is quenched. But any other beverage, you just want more beverages. Like, I just had some coffee. I need more coffee. But if I was just drinking water, I'd be satiated. Anyway, Mm -hmm. so here's the deal. He goes, uh, and he's going to quench his thirst. So he fills up his big soda pop, and he chugs it right there. And then the cup has a computer chip on it that lets the machines know how often you are refilling your pop. (laughs) He gets all upset because he, he was trying to quench his thirst, and refill his cup again, but the machine flashed a message at him that said, Hi, you are not quite ready to fill up. And then there's a timer that says how long he has to wait. He is claiming that there was nothing, uh, no mention of this, which I find hard to believe because NBC Universal, the owners of Universal Studio, have been in the business of, uh, well, have been in business for a long, long time. They've also been in the customer service industry, which means they know every trick that human beings are going to try to pull to get one over on them. Oh, yeah. They've got every, you know, I'm sure in the fine print uh, when you go, when you buy a ticket to Universal or when you buy a ticket to Disneyland, there's some tiny uh, rider that says you give up all claims to sue them if you fall off, you know the Matterhorn and you die or Mickey Mouse <laughs> impales you or or you know you're in you're at NBC Universal and Harry Potter's wand goes into your neck you're you, they're not they've got this covered so mm-hmm. I'm sure somewhere in the fine print of this deal it says unlimited but you have to wait 10 minutes before and that makes sense because I'm not I'm not a guy who is uh, criminally inclined but even I could say boy that would be so easy to just, all right, kids, we're all getting one cup. Line up. And yeah. then everybody quench your thirst. So you hammer, then you hand it to the next guy, and you hammer it, and you hammer it. So all of a sudden, within three minutes, eight people have drank out of that one cup. Yeah, they probably are, look forward to, in the future, probably thinking somebody's going to fill up like a garbage can or something yes. full, of, full of it. I understand. And so they, they, I'm sure there's a lot of research. I'm sure there was a grant given f- to study how much time... It should take for an average human being to drink a uh, 16-ounce soda. And then they went, all right, let's say it takes the average human five minutes to drink a 16-ounce soda. Mm -hmm. Well, 
we're going to make it a 10-minute limit. They can keep coming back. That's still six pops an hour. You, you how, to- much, how much pop do you need to drink, Louis Arnaud from <laughs> the Bronx, New York? How thirsty are you that you need more than six pops in an hour? So this is crazy, Brian, but I looked up how many sodas it would take to kill a person. Yes, how many? <laughs> There's 200 grams of sugar in a whole cup. So nice. it takes about 10.5 cups of sugar to be deadly. You'd have to drink two, uh, nine two-liter bottles of Coca-Cola in one sitting okay. to kill yourself. Well, first As of far all, as soda goes. If I was looking to kill myself... Soda ingestion, probably not not the top of my list. (laughs) To clarify, I'm not, but I wouldn't go, you know how I'm going out? I'm going to leave a note. Hold on, i got to write a note for my wife. And then I'm lining up my two liters of Pepsi, (laughs) and I'm I'm checking out of this mortal coil. I've had enough. (laughs) First of all, you would bloat before you could ever kill yourself. I couldn't even imagine it. Yes, you'd you'd end up, (laughs) you'd be so bloated, you'd be in the bathroom, and you'd probably vomit. There's no chance you could do that. Literally foaming at the mouth. Yes, literally. Yes, you are absolutely right. You'd be foaming at the mouth. Your little pop top would come completely off. You would be done. Uh, All right, we got to do this. That is news time, 720 WGN. Brian Noonan, 720 WGN. If you are a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, then you are a fan of the work of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, of course, known for more than the Chronicles of Narnia, but that is uh, one of his uh, big works. A show about C.S. Lewis called An Evening with C.S. Lewis opened last night at the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Theater. It's a Broadway and Chicago production. It runs through November 3rd. The man who not only wrote the show, but who portrays C.S. Lewis... David Payne joins me now on WGN. David, thank you for uh, staying up after the show tonight. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Oh, nice to be there. So, let the, as I was reading up about you, it's you have a fascinating background, but let's start with the basic. How did you become fascinated by C.S. Lewis? What was it about what was it about his writings? What was it about the man that drew you to him? Well, I um, I think like a lot of people, I read the Narnia books um, when I was younger, and um, I read uh, uh, the Screwtape Letters when I was seventeen, and read uh, different parts, uh, different books of his throughout the years. My real fascination came when uh, I had to be in Nashville on a project, and um, uh, it was a two-year project, um, and when. Um, while I was there, I, I saw a little display ad for an audition um, by a theatre company that did their, their shows in downtown Nashville. And it was for Shadowlands, and Shadowlands is a stage play about C.S. Lewis and how he met his wife and um, American wife. It was a great story. But it said auditions for Shadowlands, British accent to help. And I thought, well, I've got a British accent. I've never been on the stage before, but I did have a British accent. I've had it for a long time. So I called the number, and um, I, they said I could come down, and I went down hoping to get a small part and ended up winning the lead role. <laughs> that, that, that is what was amazing to me, because there's actors who've spent their whole life training. And you were, you were not an actor. You were an engineer by trade. You had also, okay. uh, you had also played in a Christian, uh, Christian rock band. And now you yeah, go in for yeah. your very first audition, and you nail the lead. And this is a re- this this playhouse that you were in in Nashville is a uh, well regarded place. This wasn't you know some kids putting on a show in a barn. This was a big deal. Yeah, it's was indeed. It is, and uh, we've had some good audiences so far. Um, 
Yeah, and and that and really from uh, winning that lead role really set me on a course to actually study Lewis a lot more. And as a result of that study, reading biographies, his own writings, and also many other things, um, that's when I came up with the story of uh, with the show An Evening with C.S. Lewis. So give us uh, give us an encapsulation. This this all happens at a certain period in Lewis's life at. At it his ha- home, correct? It, it, it does. It happens near the end of his life. Actually, he's recently had a heart attack. Um, and it's the period between that heart attack and when he died. And there's a group of American writers who are uh, visiting Oxford, and they managed to be able to uh, get to see Lewis. And so they meet with him in his sort of his living room, as it were. And um, Lewis, it's, it's a sort of a fireside chat. Lewis, they want to hear Lewis talk about the people and uh, events that shaped his life. And so he sort of chats away, very informal. It's not a lecture. It's full of humor because Lewis was a great humorist. Um, we just, we read about it or the audience will hear about how Lewis nearly didn't write the Narnia books. They'll hear about his... Um, friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien and how, without Lewis, The Lord of the Rings may never have been published. Really? And they'll hear about... Oh, yes, yes, absolutely true. And they'll read. They'll hear about how Lewis met this woman, um, uh, this American woman, after she had written to him and she was visiting England, and how eventually she, she, she turned his life upside down. She was a very intelligent lady. Um, she was a writer herself. And um, when they first met, it was very much a meeting of the minds, really, because she was able to um, to de- debate Lewis on his own level. In fact, she was as good a debater as he ever found in any man. And um, so it was a meeting of the minds, but it eventually became a meeting of the heart, and they married. And then, of course, the sadness is she contracted bone cancer, and we watch Lewis go through a little bit of the agony of what mm. happens after the one you love dies and that sort of thing. That's a, it sounds like a fascinating play. And it also fascinated me because there you and C.S. Lewis do share a number of similarities. One, unfortunately, the tragedy that you just mentioned about uh, his wife and, and the unfortunate loss of your wife. But there are other things that that you have in common with him, right? Well, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know whether he'd be happy about that. But, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I, 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 we, for instance, you know, he had a strong uh, uh, Christian faith. I, I, I also have the same. Uh, but um, I'm not playing Lewis uh, just so that I can uh, talk about his Christian faith. You can't do a play without Lewis without referring to it, because right. that was one of the major things in his life. So a play without about Lewis, and they didn't mention uh, his approach to Christianity would be a play that's not right. Um, so, I mean, I have that, but I'm not a great writer, as, as he was a great writer. Um, and um, um, I enjoy conversation, and he enjoyed conversation. Um, uh, so there are some similarities. Uh, of course, I'm human. He was human. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. That, we'll go with that one. Is there a challenge of uh, are you? What are the unique challenges? I guess I should ask of doing a one man show as opposed to being 
part of an ensemble. The, you know, when you get into your first show in Nashville, there's the rest of a cast you can work off of. Now it's just you up there. What do you What do you find rewarding about that, and what what is the most unique challenge about doing that? Well, the the, the unique challenge is making sure the audience is with you for the whole of the show. You don't want to lose them at any point. Uh, you want them to uh, to be totally absorbed. Um, and uh, I was uh, after the show tonight. I was talking to actually a young man who was very enthusiastic. He'd been to the show, and he said, "When I thought you were going to stop, I thought, oh, I hope he's not stopping. <laughs> um, I want him to. I want him to go on." And that's really it. You want people to absolutely be absorbed. And if you're not, if they're not. As an actor, you will find that very disconcerting. So I think the only reason uh, I'm still doing the show is because the audience seems to love it and seems to want it. And uh, people say to me after the show very often, uh, I feel as though I've been with C.S. Lewis. Some people said to me, I feel as though you were talking only to me. And that's because I, it's it's really an intimate chat. It's, it's not a lecture. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm very happy about that. The, the, if you ask me what the challenge is, is I would say to anybody doing a one-person show, you better be good. If you're not, you're in trouble. <laughs> Does it? And it, it would also, as an actor, force you to constantly be in the moment. You you don't get a chance to take a, a moment off when. If another actor is taking control of the scene and maybe you're you're blending a little more into the background, maybe you can have a lapse for a moment. You're not supposed to, but you could. In a one-person show, it's it's all you all the time. Oh, yes. You, 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 you can't afford to take a little break and tell the audience, look, give me a minute or so. While I'm the <laughs> um, you can't do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, the one, you, you, obviously when you're with an ensemble, that is obviously nice that is good but uh when you're on your own um you don't have to worry about somebody dropping a line or feeding you a bad line or the wrong line right you are the one and um uh, and so you know there are advantages and disadvantages i think the thing for me is that there's there is never a time when i don't enjoy the show and it's constantly changing, not so much in terms of content, just in terms of delivery. And um, and every audience is different. So an audience will will give you things on one night that another audience didn't the other right. night. And and so that in itself becomes um, uh, sort of enriching and um, and keeps it keeps it alive and virile. So so many aspects to it. I, I would say this, if you can have a one-person show and it works, it is a very satisfying experience. Well, it, it, there's there's the feeling of accomplishment and it's all you. You you know, you've built this, you've performed this and and now you get to revel in it and watch the audience enjoy it. I'm speaking with David Payne, he's the creator and the star of An Evening with CS Lewis, which is playing now through November 3rd at the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Place, a Broadway in Chicago production. How long did it take you to put together uh, to put together this show? Well, there's um uh, the, the short answer is that in writing the original material, probably three months. Okay. But then, every, then over the next 19 years, one has been 
um, crafting the show. You know, you get a you get a craftsman who starts off as a you know as an apprentice, and he he'll create something, and he'll have these basic skills. But twenty years later, his skills have developed so that it become mm-hmm. natural and all that sort. Of, that's a, that, to me. That's the same thing with a play when you work it for so long. But they say I directed the play, which I did, of course. Um, but uh, the best directors I have had are the audience. The audience will always tell you whether it works or whether right. it doesn't. And so you have to be smart audience, enough to listen the to them. The audience does that for you. It, now, have, you've been doing this for so long, and you've you've been inside C.S. Lewis's mind. Is there is there anything that can still surprise you about C.S. Lewis, or what? And what also was the biggest surprise as you researched this and wrote the wrote the show and actually become him every night? Um, there's not a lot now that surprises me about Lewis. I sometimes come across something which I I knew and maybe I'd forgotten. Which made me, oh yeah, I do remember that. Yes, that was that was that was certainly that was Lewis. Um, I think um, the, the surprise was really finding a man who was such a genuine man and very open and very honest, um, and not a, a man with pride. He, I mean, he even I think he was amused at his own fame. Both he and Tolkien were amused at their own fame. Um, I never took it really seriously. So, um, and, and, and that's that's charming to be able to play a man who you who you can admire for those reasons. Yeah, it's it's he's a fascinating guy, and do obviously the writing is what lends to his longevity. Is there is the is it the personality too combined with that as you were saying that makes him. Uh, a character for the ages, as somebody who, you know, kids are still reading his books today, we're still talking about him, you're still performing to audiences doing this. It's got to be the combination of the writing talents and everything else, right? Well, the writing talents are, are supreme. Um, you know, Lewis has been dead for over 50 years, obviously. His writings are, is what keeps him alive. Um, my job, I think, in on the stage is to actually reveal uh, his personality um, and to reveal the man behind the books, what made him tick. Um, and one of the things that made it tick, they used to say, you could not be in, in the room with C.S. Because he was a man who loved humor and um, and sometimes it was very boyish humor. Um, so um, I, I think the writings are supreme in keeping Lewis's writings will be read many years from now, as indeed will Tolkien's. Um, I think my joy, I think, if, and, and if I can bring that same joy to my audience, is that they will say, ah, I feel as though I might know C.S. Lewis. That would be, it sounds like a wonderful show, and it is a great venue for it, the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Place. David Payne is uh, here. He is the creator and the star of An Evening with C.S. Lewis. It is playing now through November 3rd at the Broadway Playhouse, Water Tower Place. You can go to broadwayinchicago.com and get your tickets. Uh, you have piqued my interest. I know you can't tell us because it would spoil it. I want to know why the Chronicles of Narnia almost weren't published and uh, and what he did to make Tolkien uh, publish his books as well. 
It has been a real pleasure to speak with you, David. Have a great run here in Chicago. Break many legs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. Thank you for joining us tonight. I very much enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Take care. That's David Payne again. He is the creator and star of An Evening with C.S. Lewis. It is playing now through November 3rd at the Broadway Playhouse at Water Tower Place. A great venue, a nice intimate theater for an intimate show. Uh, An Evening with C.S. Lewis. You can get your tickets at broadwayinchicago.com. Oh, so much more. So Now I need to know. I got to go. I got to go. I, did, I wasn't able to go. Uh, Tuesday to opening night because I had another engagement because, Michael, as you know, uh, my social calendar, full. It slammed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. Uh, you know what doesn't make me laugh? Taking a break from you, but I must. Yeah. All right. Fun talking to David Payne. So much great theater in this city. You could go to a show every night from the small black box theaters to the uh, the big houses at the Goodman or Cadillac Palace or anywhere. You just see great, great performances. So, David Payne again at the An Evening with C.S. Lewis. Um, after the news, we're going to shift gears quite a bit because this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and uh, a local Chicago restaurateur is uh, doing her part to change something, uh, a statistic that a number I had no idea about that is... Uh, it's kind of shocking. So we'll talk to uh, Daniela Caruso on the other side of the news. We were talking about uh, haunted houses a little bit earlier because uh, they have the haunted maze at Navy Pier. Are you a haunted house guy, Michael? Do you like doing that kind of stuff? You know, I used to love it, but I haven't been to one in a, f- in a few years, though. Is it age, do you think? Do you, like when we're, Teenagers seem to love it. Teenagers, because mm-hmm. you know why teenagers are dumb? They don't realize that horrors are real, that life can actually kill you. Once you get to a certain age... And, uh, you know, you've had a job for a while. Maybe you're married. Maybe you're not. But, you know, you've lived life. You know the things that are scaring you. They're probably real. There's mm-hmm. a lot of real scary <laughs> things out there. And you don't – I don't need to pay $20 to go and be scared anymore. Mm-hmm. I just wake up and I'm terrified. <laughs> my feet hit the floor and it's like I'm living in my own private hell. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's there's demons dressed as, uh, you know, bankers who want mortgage money or <laughs> – the uh, the car payment company or the broken furnace scares mm-hmm. me more than a werewolf. So it's uh, there, there's a lot going on. You know? Witches are the least of your worries oh, at that point. Trust me, mm-hmm. a goblin doesn't hold anything <laughs> to the fact that my car needs a new engine. These these are the true horrors, and unfortunately, they are not confined to a couple weeks in October. Mm-hmm. These twelve months. It's like year-round haunted house. Uh, <laughs> you walk out, and it's just like the fog machine might as well be going. Exactly. I have jack-o'-lanterns and bats in my head nonstop. I, I hear werewolves baying just... Uh, well, right now, I'm hearing a couple werewolves baying. It has, it has nothing to do with that. But the last one I went to, I actually took my daughter, and this was a few years ago, and it was good. Uh, it was, uh, But they've gotten more... I guess because we watch all these movies, we you know we have access to different horror things. The haunted houses have gone more toward gore than shock, and so the gore is what uh, you know. That I never was excited by that. I liked a good scare, but I never really cared for all the gore, and that seems to be what's going on. Uh, that's oh, we had a text. 
uh, talking about David Payne. I was in the audience tonight. It was riveting. I went into this not knowing a lot about the life of C.S. Lewis, and I did not expect to laugh and cry. It's not boring. Uh, and when I met David Payne in the lobby afterwards, I almost called him Mr. Lewis when I thanked him. So believable. Tell him to enjoy his English tea and feel better. So uh, a satisfied customer tonight. Let's do this. Then it's news time. WGN. Brian Noonan, 720 WGN. We're here till 1 o'clock. Then Nick DiGilio takes over. Uh, if you don't, if you didn't know, uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I did not know that, but now I do because I was reading a story in uh, Block Club Chicago about a fascinating woman and some of the work she's doing on behalf of domestic violence victims. Daniela Caruso is here. Uh, welcome, good to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. And I know now I, I have to share this story because you. Uh, you brought somebody with you because it's late at night and you're coming to a new place. <laughs> but you said it might be you didn't know if this was some elaborate murder plot. <laughs> Michael, we have, to, we have to get into a new business, elaborate murder plots well, for you hire. Know, you never know. Strange man contacts me, asks me to go somewhere <laughs> at 11.30 at night, so you got to bring well, a friend. Sure. No, I, I get it. If I said, listen, I want to talk to you about domestic violence, uh, I'm going to be on a corner. I'll be wearing right. a dark coat. That, that's a little fishier. But I'm so do you Don't feel, worry, I do you feel you, so. uh, did you Okay, <laughs> yeah. good. So you knew it was, it was a legit deal. Yeah. And now do you feel, well, yeah, now this would have been really elaborate if I wasn't legit and I brought you, I created all this right. as a ruse to lure you in. That would have been crazy. Yeah, I watch a lot of uh, true crime. So, yes, you know. see, I, I just watched a thing on the blacklist where they created a whole hospital just to, you know. Oh, so, yeah, it's I gotta watch be, that show. Yeah, it could be crazy. All right, tell us what you do for your day job. Um, right now I'm kind of in between jobs. Okay. Yeah. So, um, kind of do marketing. I was a marketing director, um, and a co-owner at Funkenhausen. That's, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, no longer affiliated with them. Just kind of on my own at the moment. Gonna start doing, I did their social media. So I'm going to start doing kind of like a content creation thing. Very nice. On my own. Cool. Yeah. All right. So how you got involved a few months ago. Correct. Doing, doing something with the restaurant industry to help the victims of domestic violence. Now, I was shocked by the number that I read uh, in this piece about you, that in a city this large, how many beds are there for victims of domestic abuse? 150. 150. Yeah. That seems woefully low. For sure. There's about 3 million you know, plus people that right. reside in the city of Chicago. Like 150 beds is definitely not going to cut it. For- and. Do we do we know the numbers of and I and I know you work a lot with the uh, connections for abused women and their children. Yes. What are the numbers that that they say? How many victims are we looking at to show to show the drastic right. difference between here's 150 beds. Well, how I've, many people need those beds? I've definitely looked at like the national statistics, and mm-hmm. it's about one in four women, one in nine men um, that experience uh, uh, interpersonal kind of like interpersonal. Uh, relationship violence okay and how did how did you decide that this was going to be your cause if it's not you know right oh for sure um definitely something that's personally important to me i was in an abusive relationship myself uh not so much physically and uh, that's that's something as well that like people don't understand about domestic violence right. it's, a, it's a lot more than than physical violence mm-hmm. it's about um, psychological abuse, emotional abuse. It's mostly just like about control over the other person and how to, you know, it's different for everyone how that control is exhibited. Yeah. But um, it was something that I was passionate about and it's something that is 
I wouldn't say prevalent in the restaurant industry. It's prevalent in, in life and everyday life yeah. and across all industries. It affects everyone of any race, you know, gender identity, whatever. Income, it, do, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Correct, yeah. So it was something like after the Me Too movement that I didn't like. There's a lot of um, talk about sexual assault, sexual harassment. um, And I don't think a lot of attention is given to the fact that like a lot of that occurs within relationships. Okay. Um, So I don't know. It it struck me and it was something that I wanted to raise awareness for. So So, and you you being in the restaurant industry at that point, you you decided you needed to do something. So walk me through what you did if, uh, back. It was April, right? When you had in, the fl- May. in May. Right. So walk me through how that all came about and what you did. Oh, gosh. Um, I had previously volunteered with Connections for Abused Women and Their Children. They did. Or a friend of mine hosted an event at Empty Bottle okay. um, a couple years ago, and I just volunteered. Um, so I was already familiar with the work they did, and they're the, one of the oldest um, domestic violence like nonprofits in Chicago. Um, so when thinking about doing something, I, they were the first organization that I thought of and I just kind of knew going into it that we could do something at Funkenhausen. Um, but a lot of restaurants hold charity nights, um, and it doesn't really get a lot of traction. Like it's, it's obviously important and the work that people do and the money they raise, like every little bit counts. Yeah. But I wanted it to be more than that. I wanted people to talk about it. Like, this is an issue that I feel like doesn't get in, like, isn't well understood. Well, you, that, you make a good point. One, because unfortunately, a lot of times the victims are ashamed, so they don't right. want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the perpetrators aren't going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a stigma that we kind of, we push it away. Absolutely. And you're right when, you know, every little bit does help. But sometimes it takes a big impact to to raise a little more awareness mm-hmm. you know because everybody there's cause co- everybody has a good cause there, there's a lot of places you can give money and you you do this you do that and you go okay well i made my donation but then i don't think about it right. anymore so you got to get people to really mm-hmm. think about it the education and the awareness part is like it i don't know if it's as important as like raising money be- yeah. but like it is because the more awareness you raise the more money you right the more raise, educated yeah. people are the more willing they are to write a check for sure so, so you you decide. All right, I've got to get I've got to get more of the restaurant industry. We have to coalesce to mm-hmm. do something bigger. And I I've you know things have happened in the restaurant industry in Chicago. There have been perpetrators of violence, yeah. and I know at least a lot of you know friends of mine were very worked up about it. Uh, and I was just like, we need to do something there like there has to be more that we can do other than just like get angry yeah um so i kind of reached out to i started it started as kind of like a close circle sort of thing just reaching out to people i knew in the industry and then i just kind of got annoying about it and (laughs) (laughs) started bothering people yeah and that's pretty effective like you know ask once and just keep asking and And pretty soon even if they don't want to help they're going to help just to shut you up exactly (laughs) (laughs) so uh you know it started with um with us at funkenhausen and then it it went to 10 restaurants and then it was 20 and then uh eater picked up an article um i reached out to a contact of mine at eater and i was just like you know maybe instead of focusing on the perpetrators of violence we can focus on something positive that we're doing as a community to help this issue uh and then after that it kind of just like snowballed and a lot of people started reaching out to me just like we want to be involved we want to be involved and the amount of um just 
personal anecdotes, like people that have come to me saying like, this is a really important cause to me. I'm really like glad that you're doing this. Yeah. It is a really hard thing to talk about, but like we're on board and that's been, everyone's been really receptive and really helpful and that's been awesome. And you had 45 restaurants involved in this. They were educating, they were, uh, they were making donations, they were collecting money and it, it worked out great. And so now you've decided, so we got to keep this going. This is, this is an ongoing problem. This is an, uh, you know, something that, yeah, we, we made an impact for a short amount of time, but we have to, we have to start changing the culture. So what's, What's the plan now going forward? What are, what are you doing now? So it was 70 restaurants in May. It was over 70 restaurants. Oh, 70. Restaurants. Very yeah. Wow. Look at that. Right. Good. But, I got to um, correct this article. Then. This month, I wanted it to go beyond just the restaurant industry yes. because it is such a pervasive um, issue. Um, but going into this month, you know, I did realize that there can't always be an ask, like a financial ask. Like there needs... Like if, if people want to get involved, like if I'm always just knocking on their door asking for money, like right. it might be a turn off. So my main goal with, with this month and the initiative was just to, you know, after working with CAWC Connections for Abused Women and Their Children, like in May, I, and I found out about the lack of shelter beds and yes. we had long conversations about how just like a lot of victims, you know, women, men, all, you know, people yeah. just didn't have anywhere to go. And obviously that's an ongoing struggle it's, sure. it's something that like a lot of different um nonprofits that work with domestic violence um victims and survivors are like trying to amend mm-hmm. um but that number just like really stuck with me and and i i was like there has to be we have to do something about this yeah, this can't be a thing it just anymore. seems it seems weird i, I can't i couldn't wrap that's why i had to talk mm-hmm. to you. i couldn't wrap my head around that number right 150 beds there are they they told and like don't get me wrong. Like I love, I have two dogs and they're both rescue yes. dogs and I love them, but there are more, uh, spaces available for animals in the city of like a vastly, you know, different right. number available for animals in, in Chicago than there are for like, oh. you know, victims of domestic violence. And that's really unfortunate. So how, what's the initiative to get more beds? What are you doing? So it's not always about the ask. What are we, mm. what are you doing now? Well, the first thing is just to educate people right. on, on the issue, like in, in all facets of that issue. Um, and then hopefully get, you know, kind of people fired up about it. And um, beyond that, I, I was asking the women at CAWC kind of what can we do as just individuals and, in order to get more shelter beds, you you have to build more shelters, and sure. that costs a lot of money. It's right. you know anywhere from like four to six million to just kind of get a shelter up and running, and that number can be very daunting. Um, for just I'm just you know trying to make a small difference. Yes, yeah. Uh, but there is you know you can reach out to um, your representatives. Uh, that's why part of the ask was like tag JB Pritzker, tag uh, Lori Lightfoot, just. Uh, Statewide, citywide funding could help amend yeah. this issue if, like, more you know funding was allocated to. Children. And there's there's ways you can help on a small, on, on an everyday scale. There's ways. So we're going to talk a little bit about things people can do. If you uh, want some more information about uh, connections for uh, abused women and children, CAWC, you can go to cawc.org. Uh, talking with Daniela Caruso. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more about that. And I want to delve into a little more. You've mentioned the restaurant industry a couple times, which you were part of. So obviously that's... And why you think this kind of behavior is pervasive mm-hmm. in, in that industry. So we'll get into all of that. If you have any questions or thoughts, 312-981-7200. More with Daniela on the other side. It's WGN. WGN. 
Brian Noonan, WGN. Daniela Caruso is in the studio with me. Uh, you may have read about Daniela in Block, Block Club Chicago. She was working at uh, Funkenhausen restaurant in Chicago, and in May, she put together a movement, and with, was it 75 restaurants? Yeah, over 70. Over 70 restaurants to help raise awareness and raise some money for domestic abuse victims in the city, where there is a woefully low number of beds, 150 beds for uh, victims of domestic abuse in a city of over 3 million, and that seems uh, too low. So, uh, Danielle is now back with a new initiative to try to raise some awareness for uh, connections for abused women and their children. CAWC.org is the website. You can go there. So we were talking about before, um, you know, you can't always be asking for money. But people do People do want to help. And especially once they start hearing about things and they learn more about it and they want to help. And there's ways that uh, CAWC and other uh, organizations, you can, for for not a lot of money, not a lot of effort day-to-day items that they need that you can help with for sure and uh part of the initiative this month uh, part of the ask for the participants that were involved is like could you make your place of business a drop-off site for supplies for right. shelters and that ranges anywhere from you know clothes um supplies for babies you know diapers bottles that kind of thing um art supplies for children like mm-hmm. there's a, a broad range of needs household cleaning and those are things thing. you you wouldn't necessarily think of you right. know because the children are displaced too mm-hmm. and if and they've left everything and behind yeah. and yeah and their pet you, so people need pet foods because when they leave they try to take everything they'll need and everything you know their loved ones first mm-hmm. right Sometimes and then whatever you the can carry yeah to take really much, much b- besides you know the clothes on right. their back so definitely need supplies um, yeah. So how many restaurants are uh, participating now in this month's initiative? Um, over 40. Nice. Yeah. We have some other small businesses, Azray Garden, which is a um, flower shop. Okay. Uh, there's one in West Loop and one in Wicker Park. They're participating as well. And what are people? What do people look for? Is there a big box or is there a certain color of container? What it would... I created a like a Google map of all of the places okay. that were accepting donations, and they'll basically just have an area at their store, their restaurant, where you can you know bring in. I know the hideout. Um, I know um, Houndstooth. Like there are a couple of places that were went above and beyond and are kind of hosting okay. their own events. I nice. think uh, they're having both of those places are having events at the end of the month, uh, doing raffles where they can raise additional funds, and they're both places that are accepting. Supplies. Where can people find this map? Um, I have posted it. I can. I, I can send it to you. Okay. Um, but it's yeah. It's, it's a Google Map. It's okay. Yeah. Good, yeah. We'll send it, and then we'll put it up with the podcast, For and sure. we'll get yeah, uh, we'll get great. people out there helping out. Because, like you said, you can uh, you can baby items, clothing, household items, toiletries, dog food, cat food. Uh, things for the kids to play with, mm-hmm. something, anything that people need. Right. Uh, because I, thankfully, I can't imagine going through this. But I did want to touch on before uh, you get out of here, since you have not been murdered, which is good. <laughs> I'm still uh, here. <laughs> you're still alive, which is great. And now you have chocolate, so you you are yes. actually now oh your God, life force. A whole cup of Listen, chocolate. We don't mess wow. around here, at WGN. <laughs> we we've just stolen all the boss's chocolate. We don't care. <laughs> It's late at night. Why do you, you mentioned the restaurant industry and that you were hearing from other people who worked in the industry stories of common, mm-hmm. you know, of this behavior? Is there something intrinsic about the restaurant industry that? 
cultivates this kind of behavior? What, what do you think it is that's unique about that? Because it's probably not as unique as we would think, but mm-hmm. if you're in it, you're going, wow, there's a lot of this going on. Right. It's, uh, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily more pervasive in the restaurant industry than any other. I think the hospitality and industry gets has a particular focus on it like people are kind of fascinated with with restaurants and chefs so like there's just naturally more attention paid to this industry than than some others right um but there's also you know the element of a pretty like prevalent like drug and alcohol abuse that can contribute to some of these issues um not saying that that's an excuse because it's not right um, but it does, it, it can like basically like sexual assault, sexual harassment, like domestic abuse, like can be, you know, ramped up when, when alcohol is involved or when drugs are involved. And let's, uh, again, I think it's important. You pointed this out earlier, but to repeat that this, this isn't always physical abuse. Right. A lot of it is mental, verbal. Uh, there, there's, there's all different kinds of ways that someone can be a victim of domestic abuse. Right. Yeah. It has to do with control. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. And that's, I mean, you say that, and our my mind immediately goes, well, chefs are in control of the whole thing. So, maybe, but, but it's not, it's not always the chef. It's right. it could be, it, it could, could be, be anyone, a bar yeah. back and and a, a yeah. server. It, it could be anybody. Right. And again, there's there's been a lot of stories about this happening in the arts community as well. And it happens, you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, mm-hmm. this could happen. And you could be a stay at home somebody who works from home and your your partner your spouse somebody is right. is doing this to you so it doesn't right matter. when when i guess when power is is put into play and and somebody is the imbalance of power can contribute to this as well like if if it's someone's boss and you know they're experiencing it in their relationship like they might not feel like they can leave that situation because they might lose their job a lot of it has to do with you know um economic control sort of like having power over finances so a lot of people who are victims feel like they can't leave for that reason like they don't have the funds necessary or they have you know children with them or but yeah, when it comes down to the restaurant industry, it's just like a lot of it is, you know, I don't want to lose my job. Like, sure. and if I do, it's not exactly the kind of place that has benefits or PTO or anything like that, like any resources for people to lean on. And I think part of that is why this is so important to educate people about. And especially the, it's it's an ongoing problem. But this uh, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And uh, what... What's scary, if you've never been through this and you start researching it, I, I went to uh, CAWC.org, and before you even get in the website, there's a big warning of how you can escape the website mm-hmm. quickly if, you're, if you need to get out of it. And, I, you know, to, to, be in that, to be in that state of fear all right. the time that just looking at something on the computer, who knows mm-hmm. what could happen to you right. if, if you're discovered, that, that's a horrible way to yeah, live. Yeah, it's awful. And so uh, I applaud the uh, applaud the efforts, and I pl- please send us that Google Map. So I if you're out sure. and about, if you're uh, over forty restaurants and bars are now d- collecting supplies, you can always go to cawc.org. They've got ways that you can help. They've got ways that you can donate. Got to get some more beds. Got to have. We need more resources for the victims of domestic violence. It's uh, un- uh, way too prevalent a problem, and uh, not enough resources because. Listen, as we all know, money's short. The teachers want money. Everybody wants money. And so, unfortunately, sometimes victims who are not advocating for mm-hmm. themselves for whatever reason get kind of pushed to the background and forgotten about. Unfortunately. But, but I'm glad you're uh, not forgetting them. I'm glad oh, you're stepping up. I'm not out. done, yeah. <laughs> this is just the beginning. Good deal. Well, keep in touch, and, you know, next initiative we'll, uh, we'll hear, too. Now that you know you won't be murdered... <laughs> 
you can always bring your your uh, your friends, Eric. He will he will come and he will protect you. He My sat muscle. over. Yeah, he looks. He he's not even awake. <laughs> yeah, he's Literally, somebody could have somebody could have killed you. Somebody could have <laughs> killed him first because he's snoozing. We would never do that. Daniela Caruso, thank you for coming in. I really do appreciate it. Thank and, you. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Let's do this. Then it'll be news time. Seven twenty. WGN. Brian Noonan on 720 WGN. Halloween is next Thursday, but then after Halloween comes Dia de los Muertos. And if you want to celebrate, there's no better place for you to celebrate than at the National Museum of Mexican Art in Pilsen. And Thelma Aranga from the National Museum of Mexican Art is here in the studio. You stayed up very late. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So... First of all, for people who ha- haven't been to Pilsen and aren't familiar with the museum, tell us a little bit about the museum. Right. Uh, so the museum has been around for more than 30 years, um, and we basically celebrate Mexican art and culture from both sides of the border. Okay. Um, and we do that by presenting exhibitions, uh, community events, um, and all kinds of programming uh, for our Mexican community. And Pilsen is a wonderful neighborhood. If people haven't made it out, you, you got to go down to Pilsen. One, yeah, you're never going to eat. You're never going to eat in a better neighborhood ever. Absolutely. And the culture and everything. It's just. It's. It's a great environment. Yeah, definitely. Um, I both live and work in Pilsen, and so um, it's definitely a very lively neighborhood. Um, I think it's also very. Um, the the people who live there are very proud of uh, the neighborhood, and so they also defend it a whole lot. Yeah, it, pe- people who live in Pilsen are not shy about telling you about Pilsen. Oh, right. Exactly. They're very, it's like, <laughs> but but it's almost like we're very proud of Pilsen, but we got enough people here in Pilsen. We don't need any more people. Co- yeah. Come and visit us. We exactly. love to have you. Come and eat. Come and go to the uh, Mexican mu- or the National Museum of Mexican Art and uh, then go back and come back and visit us tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I- I've noticed that. And, every, you know, most neighborhoods have that, but Pilsen, there seems to be. A little more, a little more pride in the community. And it, what do you, what do you think that you can attribute that to? Uh, well, you know, very much the museum's uh, beginnings um, stems from that, and so the museum uh, was founded by a group of educators that really thought that, um, well, that really saw a need to educate the community about their their culture, and so uh, through that, the, the National Museum of Mexican Art was born, and so um, and that mission of presenting, like I said, you know, the best in Mexican art and culture continues today. And if people want to know more, they can always go to nationalmuseumofmexicanart.org. Uh, everything's there. So we do, you do stuff all year. There's always, there's always great exhibits. But this time of year, you have a couple big events coming up. Explain for, for people who don't know anything other than uh, Dia, de los, Dia de los Muertos means Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they maybe have seen Coco. Uh, but other than that, they're like, I don't really, I, I like sugar skull. They, they know some of the trappings, but they don't know the history. They don't know what the importance of this day. Explain the day to us. Sure. So, uh, Dia de los Muertos is celebrated on November 1st and 2nd. Um, and so it's really a day of celebration of life of our departed loved ones. And so there is imagery like sugar skulls or Katrinas and Katrines, uh, that could be scary. But like I said, um, more than anything, we are, uh, celebrating our loved ones through ofrendas or altars. Um, And so the exhibition um, has a beautiful array of altars that both um, are traditional and contemporary, uh, but also um, our Day of the Dead Chicago event, which is coming up on Sunday. um, We invite community members uh, to create their own ofrendas and to to demonstrate um, 
the way, the variety of ways that everyone can personalize an altar and dedicate it to their loved ones. And so an altar will often include uh, that person's favorite food, their favorite beverage, but also very uh, necessary items like a sugar skull and like marigolds and uh, candles and water and, and items like that. What's the significance of the sugar skull? And you made me a beautiful one. Thank you very much <laughs> for that. What, what's the significance of the skull? So um, every year we invite a family, the Mondragon family from Toluca, Mexico, and so it was made by them. Oh, and you. so it's a technique that's been handed down through generations within their family. But the sugar skull is actually the most important part of a Day of the Dead altar because it represents the presence of that person. And so normally you'll personalize it by putting their name on it. And then along with all the other items, um, it, you know, it brings that person to the altar. It's it's a symbol that seems to have been co-opted over the last few mm-hmm. years. You you see these everywhere. Is that is that a point of contention for the, the Mexican community? Um, I mean, you know, it's definitely challenging uh, because um, I think, like anything else, we want to keep the essence of it. We want to keep right. the tradition of it alive. But at the same time, as more and more people learn about it, um, you know, death is universal. People can sure. relate to that. Um, and everybody has somebody that they want to remember. The National Museum of Mexican Art is at 1852 West 19th Street in Chicago. Again, you can go to nationalmuseumofmexicanart.org to get all the information. All right, let's get into the let's get into the Day of the Dead uh, celebration. It's Sunday from three to eight, rain or shine. Uh, so, what mm-hmm. what can people expect if they come down to the museum? You you mentioned families and civic leaders. Are these uh, so? It, are some professional artists who are doing the altars? Are they all? Are they all just regular folks? What can we expect when we come on Sunday? Yeah. So, um, if you arrive early, you'll kind of still see people uh, setting up their altars. Um, so, right behind the museum, we're located inside of Harrison Park. So, right behind the museum is um, a big soccer field that we take over, and usually by the end of the night, it resembles a cemetery in Mexico okay. where people on Day of the Dead go and visit. Uh, the okay. graves of their loved ones. So it is more a community level ofrendas or altars. And so, um, everything, you know, from a grandparent to a sister to, you know, a community activist, um, everybody has chosen to, to remember, um, someone meaningful in different ways. Um, so you'll see people on the early end still kind of building their ofrendas. Um, we'll have live music and performances, both from, uh, local bands and some of our, um, school youth programs that we work with. Um, and then also um, come sunset. Um, so leading up to the event, um, people have submitted photos of loved ones. And so we okay. do a large scale illuminated ofrenda oh, wow. that will project itself on the side of the museum. That sounds amazing. Now, is this a is the is it a joyous occasion? Is it a sad, somber? Occasion? I'm, I guess for those uh, uninitiated, it's like, oh, well, you know, a lot of times when people go to cemeteries, they, they get very sad. But it doesn't sound like this is a sad thing. It sounds like this is a family a family event, and everybody's kind of happy with memories. They're they're joyful exactly. from the memories. Right. And yeah, and, and I can personally share that. You know, sometimes I anticipate like feeling sad, but then actually, once I make my altar at home, I feel I feel really happy, and I feel yeah. like you know full of joy because I'm seeing the things of that person that they loved, and you know, you you keep their yeah. memory alive in that way. No, it's very it's 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 very cool. I guess here's another. So if I'm if I'm not building an altar and I don't have a family member there, is it? Is it strange to walk around and look at somebody else's, 
you know, now granted, you're joyfully remembering your loved one, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's a monument to somebody that I don't know that that died. Is it okay for people who aren't building an altar to come and to come and walk around and, and appreciate what's going on? Yeah, absolutely. And so that's definitely another part of the event. Um, people are welcome to come and observe the ofrendas. And what we find is that folks love if you ask them, you know, a couple of questions. They yeah. love to talk about their okay. ofrendas. They love to talk about uh, the person that they're remembering as well. And it's and I'm sure everyone is as unique as the people that they're honoring. So it's got to be beautiful. Is it articles, are they all custom, like handmade things like the sugar skull that you brought me? Or do people sometimes just bring, this is my dad's favorite shirt. He loved, he loved this shirt. He always wore this shirt. So we fold it up and we put it, we put it on our render. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Um, and Ofrenda will have traditional items, like I said, like papel picado, right. uh, marigold flowers, sugar skulls, but then they become very personal by using nice. the photographs or, you know, the music that they loved or the food that they loved. And so oftentimes, uh, leading up to Day of the Dead, if you're making an altar at home, you'll be running around town kind of picking up those things okay. that you must go into your altar. All right. And what, why November 1st and 2nd? Is there a significance to the day? Did it did it come based on Halloween? Was it they just? Uh, well, so did, I do. I believe it's based on um, a, a little. Uh, <laughs> I threw you. I uh, stumped yeah, you. Yeah, ah. you. Stuck me a little on that one. <laughs> That's all uh, right. I know that it, it, it. Yeah, it relates to All Souls Day, and one of the days yep. is also related to children. Okay. Yeah. All right. And well, this. Uh, th- all right. So this is the first big. Uh, Dia de los Muertos event, and it is Sunday, October 27th. Uh, you can, it runs from three to eight, rain or shine. It will culminate with a beautiful, it sounds like a beautiful projected, uh, display on this, on the uh, back of the museum. And that is again, just behind the National Museum of Mexican Art, which is at 1852 West 19th Street in Chicago. NationalMuseumOfMexicanArt.org is the website. Let's take a quick break. Thelma Aranga is here. She is with the museum. And then we will talk about the other event, um, that is happening actually on the uh, 2nd of November. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about uh, that and so much more. If you have any questions, 312-981-7200. It's WGN. We are talking about uh, Dia de los Muertos and learning about the National Museum of Mexican Art, which is in Pilsen at 1852 West 19th Street. Uh, go to the uh, org and find out all the great programming that they have throughout the year. And then this time of year, with uh, the uh, the wonderful Day of the Dead Chicago, which is happening Sunday from 3 to 8 p.m. Rain or shine, it's supposed to be no rain, just a little chilly, but that's mm-hmm. all right. So everybody can come out and enjoy that. And then, as one of the big fundraisers for the museum, on Saturday, November 2nd, something big is happening again. That's right. It's our big Day of the Dead ball. Yes. I've seen pictures in the past. It looks like a fabulous event. Uh, tell us, Tell us all about the ball. So uh, the Day of the Dead Ball, uh, so the theme is Love Never Dies, and so it's presented by the museum's fabulous auxiliary board, uh, which is a group of young professionals uh, that come from all different kinds of sectors, and this is their main fundraising event, and so it happens this year right on Day of the Dead, uh, which is really awesome. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) And so... um, 
it's basically a night at the museum. And so our galleries stay open um, and guests have full access to it. Uh, but on top of that, it's it's a really fun party. And so we'll have a live band, DJs. Uh, we have a really great lineup of catering sponsors and delicious beverages, of course. I can only imagine the food and beverages <laughs> at this at the event would be uh, would be top notch. Is it uh, formal? Is it black tie? Do I come dressed as a dead person? What, what's the uh, what's the etiquette for the Day of the Dead ball? So we we call it creative uh, cocktail attire because <laughs> we have on-site face painting, and oh. so you'll be transformed into a sugar skull. Nice. And so, yeah, you'll want to you know dress up for that, uh, something okay. that you can combine with sugar skull face painting, um, and really, more than anything, embody the spirit of Day of the Dead. And what, so what would that be? Well, I, if... For the first time, they they go to National Museum of Mexican Art. They buy some tickets. They they're coming to the Day of the Dead Ball. How would you recommend that uh, a novice dress mm-hmm. to embrace the spirit of the of the ball? Yeah, I mean, well, one dressed in press. It's you know Always. every year it looks like a fashion show, um, <laughs> but definitely you know some you know just really fun moody outfits, okay. uh, whatever that means to you. Uh, you know, you could look at some Day of the Dead artwork to be inspired. There you go. But yeah, we see a little bit of everything, so it's mm-hmm. really fun. Well, I've seen, as I said, I've seen pictures in the past, and the face painters do a phenomenal job. Yeah, they it's do. it's. Terrifying, quite frankly, <laughs> in a, in the best possible way. Because you go, this it's like Hollywood caliber makeup. This is not. This is not. You know, you're at a street fair and some woman has some grease paint and throws it on. And suddenly, you look like a psychotic clown. This is this this is top notch. You look. You really look like a, a phenomenal sugar yeah. skull. And you're totally, in, like I said, in the spirit of Day of the Dead. So you mentioned some of the care. Give people a wet their whistle with some of the uh, the food and beverages. Yeah. So uh, we have Antique Taco, uh, who I just found out is uh, making tacos de canasta, which is a personal favorite. Okay. Uh, Carnitas Uruapan, which is basically our neighbor. They'll have tacos de carnitas. Uh, we have Pochos, which is a new local spot. Um, and Mitocaya um, Antojeria, which is up north. And they'll be doing their milpa taco, wow. um, among a few others, of course. That sounds delicious. Oh, and then the tasty beverages, I can only imagine. <laughs> but give us a hint. So um, El Jimador is providing um, tequila cocktails. We'll have a paloma, and then we'll also have um, some fun crafty margaritas as well. Sold. We'll be there. <laughs> Michael, get get us some creative garb. Quickly, find, <laughs> find, find me some, uh, some uh, Dia de los Muertos garb to wear, to dress to impress. I'm on it. All right, thank you. <laughs> I figured he would be. He's very good at all this. So, all right, so these are these are terrific things, and people can still get tickets. There's still some tickets available, but I know they go fast. They do. So don't wait until next Friday to decide that you're going to go to the Day of the Dead exactly. Ball. Get your tickets right. now. Right. We do anticipate selling out. We've sold out the last two years in a yeah. row. So get, get your tickets now if this sounds like something you want to do. So... We've talked about all this stuff for Day of the Dead. What kind of exhibits are at the museum on a regular basis? Or or how often do the exhibits rotate? Where if somebody was there, say, last month, and they want to go again, are they going to see some new things, some of the same things? How does that work? So um, on a rotating basis, we have about six exhibitions per year. Um, but our flagship exhibition is called Nuestras Historias, which is Stories of Mexican Identity. Um, and that's a really great um, like foundational or intro to the museum. Okay. And so I always recommend that to people, um, especially first-time visitors, because it tells the story of you know this this idea of, of Mexican identity from you know pre-Columbian times or what we call pre-Cotemoc. Yeah. And um, to current, and so basically uh, current contemporary me- Mexican art, and also on a local um, 
uh, level. And so uh, right now we also have this really great exhibition called called Cuarenta Años a la Esperanza, which is 40 Years of Hope or 40 Years mm -hmm. to Hope. And so that one commemorates um, the anniversary of the first mural to go up at Benito Juarez uh, High School. Oh, and so Benito Juarez High School also has um, a great history of activism. Um, there was many parents and mothers specifically in Pilsen that fought for that school because we very much needed a high school for right. our young people in Pilsen. Um, and so right now in our main gallery, we have Day of the Dead. And then coming next is Woven Connections and Meanings, which actually opens on Friday. And what is, uh, what is that? So Woven is a, um, an exhibition of five women artists uh, working in textiles. Um, so, and that's contemporary uh, textiles. So uh, they're addressing issues such as like, you know, topics such as um, issues at the border, um, identity, okay. immigration, uh, stuff like that. And is, since you brought up uh, the border and immigration, mm -hmm. very uh, hot topic. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure in Pilsen and in the, at the museum, that's something that, that is being addressed all the time, right? Yeah. Because so, it's well, got to be a concern in the community. Absolutely. And uh, so one of the things that I love uh, about being a part of the museum is that uh, we always have a voice in those kinds of things. And so uh, the Day of the Dead exhibition um, – Somehow it gets better every year. I yeah. don't know how they do it, but <laughs> it's just really beautiful, the exhibition. And so we have an ofrenda that's dedicated uh, to the children who died in ICE detention. Yeah. Uh, we also have another ofrenda that is dedicated to the victims of El Paso. And so we, we understand our place within those issues, yeah. and so we also know that we need to address them. Well, it sounds wonderful. And this is, I can't believe I have not brought this up. It, free admission to the museum. There's no excuse not to go to the exactly. museum. Exactly. We are open Tuesday through Sunday and completely free. That That's wonderful. I don't know how you do it. Well, you know how you do it? You sell more tickets to this Day of the Dead <laughs> yes, Ball. exactly. So get your tickets. Again, the Day of the Dead Ball on Dia de los Muertos, November 2nd. So you can get your tickets at nationalmuseumofmexicanart.org. You can also go this Sunday to the Day of the Dead Chicago. And uh, it's from 3 to 8 p.m., you go out behind the museum, which is at 1852 West 19th Street. Uh, again, nationalmuseumofmexicanart.org. Uh, okay. <laughs> Michael thought I was wrapping up. Did you hear him yell at me? No. no Thelma, Thelma jumped too because she saw me jump. Michael is yelling at me. There's nobody. Yeah, I know. We're taking it right up. I was just, I'm just getting all the all the information out before then, because now we got we got all the information out mm -hmm. for the National Museum of Mexican Art, and now I can do so. I can narrow cast a little bit because I mentioned this to Thelma and her husband off the air that my favorite restaurant in Pilsen burned down, Nuevo León, but. So and and a lot of people have this. Unless you know somebody who lives in the neighborhood, you go into a neighborhood like Pilsen, and there's a million wonderful restaurants, and you can't possibly go to every one. But if I were going to go to, if I were going to try a new one, mm -hmm. what would you recommend? Oh, that's such a. Tough I know. Oh, that's why I saved it to the end. Spot that's like why that. I saved it to. Well, listen, I already put okay. you on the spot with the November first and second date. I figure I've already I've already stumped you once. I'll try to stump you again. <laughs> Can I give you two? You can give me as many as you want. So, well, I mean, so many. Well, for one, I actually, it's going to be a whole bunch. So, Carnitas Uruapan, they're amazing. They're also walking distance from the museum. Uh, Cinco Rabanitos, which is um, 
just a block before Carnitas Ruapan. They are really great because they also have wonderful vegetarian options. Okay. And then a personal favorite is, um, it's called Carniceria Maribel. And so they're a liquor store in the front and a taqueria in the back. Well, and I, like, they have I a, like both those. The, exactly, that combination right? is great. But they have these really great Selena murals on the side. And so, you know, a little Instagram photo shoot and then you go have your tacos. See, and t- <laughs> you know what? Make a day out of it. Go to Pilsen. Go to the National Museum of Mexican Art. Go early, have lunch, then go to the museum, then go somewhere else for yeah, dinner. Exactly. Explore a new neighborhood. Learn a, a culture that is very rich and has a lot of history and has made huge contributions to this city and this country. So uh, it's wonderful. I hope I hope uh, all the events go well. I hope the weather holds out Sunday. Day of the Dead Chicago is Sunday from 3 to 8, and then the uh, Day of the Dead Ball is November 2nd. You can get tickets at the National Museum of Mexican Art dot org. The museum, again, 1852 West 19th Street in Pilsen. And it is free. Free, Michael. Did you hear it? That's right. Free? I said free. Oh, I'm there. Right, it's free. <laughs> Thelma, thank you for staying up late. Thank you. you. And uh, listen, again, if the curator gives you any, uh, any hard <laughs> no, times, then, you know, you haven't talked to me. So that, that will work. Thelma Raga is here, and she was, uh, it was very nice of you to stay up late. Thank and you. thank your husband. Uh, thank, thank you as well for coming. He's a, he's a night owl. He seems wide awake. Yeah, I know. Yeah. See, you and I are like, oh, okay, it's getting a little, uh, getting a little late. After the news, we're, oh, man, we've been all night. We've been plugging. The, the biggest debate, I don't care about any politics, nothing. There's no argument bigger than Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. There was a, a recent study came out. It ranked the best and the worst. And I am, uh, I'm already fired up. I disagree uh, 100% with what they said was the worst candy. We'll talk about that. And because I do nothing if I don't educate, I have some very interesting facts. Interesting, of course, in quotation marks, about Halloween candy. So we will get to all of that on the other side. Uh, and then we will get out of here. Nick DiGilio comes up at 1 o'clock. That's right, Michael. He, Nick still comes in at 1 o'clock. They haven't made a change? Yes, he does. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I knew that. Uh, so once again, thanks to Thelma Aranga for being here. National Museum of MexicanArt.org. Go on Sunday to the Day of the Dead Chicago and then buy your tickets for the Day of the Dead Ball. It's 1230. That means it's time for the news. Michael, you were nice enough to uh, bring in some candy for one of our earlier guests. I, uh, however, have not had a piece, but that's uh, that's probably best. <laughs> we... I think I mentioned that I might have mentioned this earlier. We bought all the candy for trick or treating. I went to uh, Costco last week, and we got because we were in a new neighborhood this year for Halloween. And I don't know how you do it. I, you know, the debate continues every year. Uh, do you give out full size? Do you give out little ones? If you give out the small size, do you give a few? Do you just, you know, that that goes every year. There's that big debate, and we've we've done all of that. We at one point we were living in a different neighborhood and we went full size. We were giving out full size bags of M and M's, and then I realized that's ridiculous. So now we give you know like a fistful of fun size bars. Oh, I thought you were going to say like a fistful of loose M and M's. I do. I just I buy one of those five pound bags and I just scoop out a bit. I got a big hand. I get a whole lot of M and M's in there. I fill up a kid's bag. It's like throwing sand in there. They're walking around. Their bag is jiggling. Their parents are like, "We're not eating any of that." Yes, I, I'm that guy. I give pennies, I give uh, mm-hmm. old toothbrushes, I give religious pamphlets, all the, all the good stuff. Everything that a kid wants when they come to your house. Dental floss, uh, <laughs> toothpicks if I run out of things. I'm giving uh, packets of condiments toothpicks. that I have in the drawer. A lot of hot sauce going out this year, some sweet and sour sauce. 
uh, a lot of hot mustard the kids will be getting. So yeah, all the yeah, things I, that I have around the house. I was wondering, do people, cause we, you know, there's a lot of generational things, but do people still give out like the pennies and the de- dental floss and the pamphlets still? Because I think I, <laughs> I definitely got those things at too. one point. And I'm thinking, do the kids today, like, because now there's the the, uh, the fun size candies, there's so many choices. I'll Is there, are, where are those houses that are still Those are the ones tight? that are burned down on November 1st. <laughs> those are the houses that you see. I uh, have all the broken windows. Uh-huh. They're, uh, they don't have a decoration. They have like one uncarved, moldy pumpkin that mm-hmm. is now smashed because everybody went. I don't, uh, you know, on Halloween, I don't need to accept anybody as my personal savior except uh, M- Mr. Mars and Mr. Hershey. That's right. And Mr. Reese's mm-hmm. and Mr. Goodbar. Of course, you have to you have to accept him as your personal savior. That's my personal savior on Halloween. He's I have so accepted good. Mr. Goodbar mm-hmm. as my personal savior. Uh, right now, people are. Oh, this is why we don't celebrate Halloween. It's blasphemous. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so we have all the candy, and I have always. When I was a kid, and this is a generational thing, when I was a kid, we would give out uh, Tootsie Pops, the big, you know, the suckers, which I don't even know if they make Tootsie Pops anymore. I think they do. Tootsie Roll Company, uh, you know. So I was always, I always had a soft spot for Tootsie Pops. Uh, when I got married and we got our first house and we were getting ready to give out candy, I said, oh, we could just get a big box of Tootsie Pops like I used to do when I was a kid. And my wife put the kibosh on that. We have not had a Tootsie Pop in our house ever. Which is wow. which makes me sad. No, not a fan, huh? She will not. Uh, she won't give them out on Halloween. She uh, she doesn't like them. Mm-hmm. She's not a fan of Tootsie Rolls. She which, didn't like the owl back in the seventies. No, she doesn't care how many licks it takes to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop. <laughs> and you know, and she not only the world, but she will never know. Mm-hmm. I've come close. Seven hundred eighty-two. Wow, I've, co- I've come close, but I, I can't. You know, but then I get bored. Yeah. Plus, I my tongue cramped up. That's no like way. A, yeah, it's like an hour spent licking a Tootsie Pop, too. Yeah, and listen, I've wasted time on other things, less important things and less delicious things, but I haven't. All right, so we got the candy, and now we're giving. We're, it's all set to go. And as I'm looking through, I get the you know the big bags of the mixed chocolates, and uh, all the top you know the top name brands are in there. You get all your all your chocolates. Uh, and then I see this list comes out the other day, a survey. Now, the survey came out from CandyStore.com, and it, uh, they talked to all kinds of people, 30,000 people uh, from 12 online publications. And they asked people what the best Halloween candy and the worst Halloween candies were. And they came up with a top 10 of each. So we'll get to some of those. But I'm wondering from you, 312-981-7200, if you're giving out candy this year, do you give out candy that you like so if there's leftovers you can gouge yourself? Or do you do as one person I spoke to today said, she buys candy that she doesn't like herself because that way she's not tempted to eat it when if the kids don't come and there's leftover candy. So she doesn't like, I, I forget what she said. Oh, she doesn't like, so she doesn't like, and this, I couldn't believe it. I almost, I, I don't think I can talk to her anymore. She said she doesn't like peanut butter cups. What? I know. Is she I, from America? She is American as far as I know. She's oh Irish. Gosh. She's from the South Side. I, so good. I don't know what her issue is. From all uh, appearances, she is a normal functioning human being. She's a successful educator. Uh, and yet, she doesn't like peanut butter cups. That's like number one on everyone's list. Yes. Well, not everyone, but a well, lot of people. Well, I will, I'll, we'll spo- yes, that's, I'll start it with that. That is number one on the best candy list. Oh, Reese's it is. peanut butter cups, Straight according to, to this survey. 
is the number one candy. <laughs> well, there's no doubt about that. So no, there is no, there's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. It is. Uh, it, it'd be hard to argue that point unless you're this woman. But anyway, her point was that she buys. So she buys peanut butter cups because she knows if they're left over, she's not going to eat them. But then she said last year she got so mad at herself because she didn't have any candy that she wanted to eat, that this year she's going to buy a small bag of stuff that she likes just to have as a backup so that she can have some Halloween candy. Because you can't pass up Halloween candy. Mm-mm, mm-mm. It's, it's right in the season. Um, but what is the candy that she actually likes then, if she doesn't like... She, any other kind of chocolate. She just doesn't oh. like the, the, the chocolate peanut butter combo. Oh man, Which I don't. I don't know if I can can roll with that. No, you can't. I mean, you can't go wrong with chocolate, but chocolate and peanut butter is a gift from God. It, yes, it raises both. To I like peanut butter by itself. I like chocolate by itself. But mm. when you put them together and then you you chill them, stop it. <laughs> now now stop you're just it. going yeah, into this a whole is, this another insane. flavor town. All right, we're going to get into the list of the best and worst. But let me give you a couple of a uh, couple of facts about Halloween candy. Uh, children would have to play for two days straight to burn off the calories in the average amount of candy collected on Halloween. According to the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Alabama, uh, average Halloween candy haul contains between 3,500 and 7,000 calories. 3,500 and 7,000 calories. That's like a full day's worth of calories. more than that because they say, you know, at 2,000 calories you can lose weight. So if 2,000 is the goal, if you're doing 3,500, that's like two days or three days of calories in just your bag of candy. (laughs) You need to do like Michael Phelps style workouts after that. Unless you're just eating your candy on the treadmill or on your uh, (laughs) Peloton bike, Mm -hmm. you're not going to, you're done. I've already, I was doing so well this month uh, and then my wife broke the seal on one of the bags of candy Mm. and now Mm. it's. What's the one that you like? Couldn't say no to. You saw it. You smelt it. You're like, I oh, gotta dive in. The whole bag is full of them. Oh, the only one that's <laughs> so the bag has uh, Twix and Reese's cups and plain and peanut M and M's and almond joys, which are my downfall. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? Ten thousand dollar bars in there. The only weak link is the Milky Way because there's Snickers in there too. But the weak link is the Milky Way. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I'm not a Milky Way guy. Mm, they're you know, I they're need, not for everybody. I need the peanuts in there. The Snickers is a Milky Way that has been improved. Mm-hmm. The Snickers is the the best Milky Way mm-hmm. because it's a Milky Way with peanuts. Yeah, the, the Milky Way came out of the oven just a little bit too soon. Right, I they left it. They they didn't they didn't put the crucial. You need a little crunch in there. Yeah, your, your caramel and your nougat is fine, but you need a little crunch to offset that. Yeah, a lot yeah, of nougat talk here on the show. <laughs> I think last time we were here, we ended up talking chickens. Today, we talk nougat. Uh, <laughs> The blog Daily Burn estimated that a standard pillowcase can hold over 1,600 pieces of candy when fully stuffed. What if you carry one of those king-size pillowcases, like a hobo, and you just have it flung over your back? I never, I, I didn't carry a pillowcase. This, I, did you carry a pillowcase when you were trick-or-treating, or did you carry a bag? I, I only carried a pillowcase once I got into, you know, when I was like 24. Go, I'll probably, mm-hmm. next week I'll probably carry a pillowcase. I remember the cool kids always carried around the pillowcase, so that's why you'd want to yes. gravitate towards the pillowcase. Sure, because when you were a little kid, mm-hmm. you had either the plastic pumpkin, or, the pumpkin. A, or a trick-or-treat bag. Yeah. But then you're right. Then you'd see like the middle school kids, and they had pillowcases. And yeah. Like, oh, and they're barely even wearing costumes. Oh, it you was know? the coolest. Yeah, like, so you wanted to be cool. The, uh, the jeans and just the mask from Walgreens or something. <laughs> That's that is the teenage Halloween outfit. I like that they even put the mask on. I give them credit for that. 
I don't, you know. Got to make some effort. Well, sure. (laughs) Uh, Another fact, studies show that kids can consume up to three cups of sugar eating Halloween candy. This equals almost 169 sugar cubes. What was the stat we had before about how you could kill yourself with pop? Ten, it was nine, ten, nine two liters in a sitting? Yeah, nine two liters in a sitting. It was 10.5, what was it, uh, pounds of, or something of sugar Yeah, to, to fully kill a human being eating sugar, which well, I might do this year because I love candy. Well, maybe you try this way, Michael. Fortune uh, reported dangerous amounts of sugar consumed by kids on Halloween, three cups of sugar in 7,000 calories of candy. Uh, that's 675 grams of sugar, or the same as chomping down on 169 standard sugar cubes. <laughs> Jeez, your teeth are yeah, just destroyed just, by that point. Oh, man, it's not good. Uh, Skittles is the top-selling Halloween candy in seven, seven states, the most out of any candy. That from this uh, same uh, website, candystore.com. Uh, it is the number one choice in seven states, second and third place ones, two Reese's and M&M's respectively. All right, those are some of the uh, interesting facts about Halloween, but let's get to these lists. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the 10 worst and 10 best Halloween candies, because why not? It is the season. Uh, 3,500 calories to a pound uh, is what uh, the 815 is texting in. So there we go. Uh, I know someone who buys... Candy, but doesn't open the bags until needed and returns the unopened bags. Oh, that's me. That's the beauty of Costco. Hmm. Or Sam, you can buy the huge bags of candy. Because one year I did, one year I only bought a couple of the big bags. We had a huge influx of kids. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to run into Jewel and buying the tiny bags mm. that were a lot more expensive. And then you can't, then you're stuck with them. But at Costco or Sam's, if you buy the big bags and you hold on to your receipt, if you don't need them, you can take them back the next day. You can take them back? Yeah, man. Man, jeez. Take them back. <laughs> do, 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 do. Me and Rocky taking them back. Uh, yeah, so you can, it, it's, you know, that, that's it's a part good of life hack. Well, sure. That's what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. I've given out good life hacks. How to return How to return Halloween candy. <laughs> that's, I'll tell you what, uh, I didn't think Nuna was going to teach us anything. But finally, at the two hour and 47 minute mark, he taught us that we could take our unopened Halloween candy back to Costco. The, the, I'm glad the listeners stuck around. Yeah, if you didn't uh, listen, yes. if you bailed at 2.45, <laughs> out of luck. But if you hung around for those extra two minutes, this is the magic time right now. The final few minutes. That's when things really start popping on WGN. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Sure, a little black magic woman because we're talking about Halloween candy. You almost have to. Uh, you have to talk about the candy because it's it's the thing. I don't uh, I don't understand people. I was talking to somebody the other day, and maybe you know people like this. Maybe you are a person like this, and if you are, I don't understand you. Maybe you could uh, enlighten me. Somebody who said they stay home on Halloween, they turn off all the lights, they close the doors, they don't want kids coming to their house because and their their justification was well because I don't like the teenagers who come and they're not really in a they're not really in a uh, a costume, and they just they don't make any effort, and they just want candy. I'm like, so what? I, I used to I used to be like that a little bit, but now I've gotten, in a lot of ways, I've aged into a cranky, horrible old human being. But in some ways, I've mellowed a, a tad to the point where, if a teenager really wants some candy, and he's coming to my door, and you know, as long as they say thank you, I don't care. They're you know what they're doing. Nothing violent. They're coming. They're. Mm-hmm. I'm keeping them. I'm doing my part to make society better by giving 
by giving a, a crazed teenager a handful of tiny sugar pellets instead of, uh, you know, crack or vaping. They're, they're at my house. They're at my house getting a Snickers bar. I feel good about myself. Yeah, you took them away from all the Fortnite and TikToks right. and they're out whatever of the they're house. into. Exactly. They're walking around. They're getting some exercise. You're rewarding them for cardio. getting out. That's right. <laughs> I'm rewarding you for coming out in society, seeing that there's somebody out there that you can't control with a little button on a joystick. Mm-hmm. You have to come. You have to walk up the stairs to my house. Yeah, <laughs> you have to. You have to make an effort to knock on the door. You gotta wait for me to go uh, pull myself out of the chair and then walk over and listen to the door. It's a whole big thing, mm-hmm. but I'm helping. Do you, do you do you talk to kids when they come to your door? Like, is there a conversation or is it just trick or treat? Do you wait for the trick or treat? What's I, the what's the well? Here's like, how do you do this? It? Is this is something that I've become aware of mostly this year, but it started a little bit last year. I used to be. I used to make the kids say it. Mm-hmm. I would make them say trick or treat. You will not, say this. Not the really little <laughs> ones, but you know, if you're first, second grade, mm-hmm. if you come to the door and you just hold out your bag, I used to go, you got to say it. Mm-hmm. And I would say, and even if they didn't, they would still get candy. I would never, you know, nobody ever left without the treat. But I, I like carry it. So um, that's, no, that's know, important, especially when right, you're. When you're but, mm. but, but, but. But here's another. If you waited till the uh, two hour and fifty three minute mark, I'm going to educate you again. This I tell you, last fifteen minutes. It, it, I'm my show is like an NBA game. All the action <laughs> happens in the last quarter. Anyway, so I've learned from a lot of teachers and a lot of parents that it can be traumatic for some children who are nonverbal or on the autism spectrum or suffering from anxiety or whatever. To have to say that, so you you you're not supposed to force kids to say something. Uh, if they come to your door and they're just and they're just holding out the bag, go ahead, t- toss the candy in there. You never you never uh, penalize a kid for not saying it. Um, and most parents, if they're with the kids, will always kind of encourage the thank you. You know, so so the thank you will come. Yeah. But now this year, I've got I'm going to be more cognizant of you know not pushing it i'll still say a little or sometimes i'll wait you know uh, yeah. five six minutes i think that's a fair amount of time to wait for a kid to say something five six minutes five six minutes uh and I'll go, can i help you <laughs> is a there time. a pro- are you a jehovah's witness <laughs> why is there a ninja turtle at my door what's what's the purpose of our interaction it gets into a whole thing yeah no i always give that i i, I actually love it i I couldn't wait to buy our first house so I could hand out candy. That's that's great. And, and you, I wear pants, mm-hmm. for the record. Oh. Because people sometimes go, boy, you seem a little too eager. I'm not, no, I just, because I How love... How mellow are you, Brian? <laughs> I, listen, I love it. I love, I, it's just, it's fun for me. Yeah. It's fun, and I, I do, you know, I don't have, to answer your question three minutes after you asked it. Uh, I don't have a lot of conversation with the kids, but mm-hmm. I will comment on costumes. I, oh, oh, what a scary monster! Oh, you look. Uh, I like. I like your costume. You look great. That that kind of thing. Yeah, you know. See, that's nice. Have you ever done the thing where you you pretend to be a dummy and then you jump out and scare them when they're when they're waiting? No, that's that's that's. My I was favorite. terrified by that as a child. <laughs> um, I have though. A little remote control sound effects machine mm-hmm. that I have put out, uh, hidden out by the porch on occasion, and it's just there's a little button 
uh, that I have in my pocket, and I can press it, and it'll be a werewolf sound or a scream. But I won't do that for little kids, because one, it scares them, and two, I don't need them to have an accident on my porch, because that's going to put the kibosh on another joyous Halloween uh, time. Very you know? good point, yes. So I try to... Uh, uh, not scare the pants off of them. Right. No. Listen, my my philosophy during Halloween, as with all times, everybody's pants stay on. Yeah. They're, they're, everybody's Support. pants stay on. That's <laughs> Whether you're trick-or-treating or just hanging around. Uh, taxi driver Bob wants to jump in. Hey, t- taxi driver. I had two points. Yes, sir. One, it, does, it, does it count if the kid texts you trick-or-treat? Will you give him candy then? First of all, if a kid has my number, I'm terrified. <laughs> Uh, so they can have everything. Because if they've texted me and if they found my number, they probably have my credit card. So if I don't give them candy, they're going to buy it on my card anyway. So one way or another, I'm out. So that's. And then, and then also, Elton Jim used to, used to used to say how he would greet the kids at at the door. He'd be wearing a a pair of boxers and like a dago tea with spaghetti stains on it, and 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 in one hand he'd have a bottle of Maker's Mark. That's why Jim will die alone. That's why Elton Jim will die alone. Him and a cat. Thanks, taxi driver. You too. All right, here's the uh, 10 worst candies. You knew we'd get back to it. 10 worst candies from 10 to 1. Number 10, bit of honey. Agreed. Hate them. Number 2, good and plenty. Awful. Like a good and fruity. Not a good and plenty. It's like medicine. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't need that. Licorice, number 9. Same thing. I disagree with number 5, 6, Number seven, six, and five, Smarties. Smarties are phenomenal candies. A fan of Smarties. I love Smarties. I like to unwrap them, take the whole roll, put them in there, and they go crazy on your tongue. I love Smarties. Mm-hmm. Smarties coming in at number seven. This list is flawed. Number six, Tootsie Rolls. I've already proclaimed my love of Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> Tootsie Rolls should not be on a worst candy list. This is, again, flawed. Necco Wafers. Are you old enough to have had Necco wafers, Michael? I have had Necco wafers before, and I remember that they had a Chicago connection and almost went yes. out of business. Yes, they did. They look like slugs, but different color slugs. I kind of wish they would have went out of business. That candy is not good. Oh, it's, stop it now. <laughs> it's like cardboard. No, this is... Or styrofoam. Uh, again, this is one that uh, one that goes back to my childhood, so okay. I have a, a soft spot for Necco wafers. I feel you. Wax Coke bottles. All right, I'll give you that. There's nothing good about a wax <laughs> Coke bottle. Terrible. Horrifying. Peanut butter kisses. I don't know if that's like a Hershey's Kiss made of peanut butter or something else. Hmm. Well, we'll kisses. leave it there. Circus Peanuts. Meh. Wait, is that dead last? Because it no, Circus Peanuts is the number two on the worst list. Oh yeah, oh yeah, by far, by far. Eh. All right, here's where I here. This is the blood feud. This is the one, and we got to go. Uh, candy corn, worst candy. According to this poll, candy I say no. Corn. I love candy corn. Me too. I love candy corn. Uh, there's so much negativity over surrounding candy corn. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just the uh, the cause celeb. Everybody wants to now. All of a sudden, they hate candy corn. No, Shut I, up. Uh, candy corn is fantastic. This, that's a whole handful. You shove it in your oh, mouth. Oh, man. So good. So good. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I draw the line. Then I don't go into the pumpkins made of the same thing because that's too much of it. It is. Candy corn is the perfect size for that uh, confection. That's a great point. Just enough. I'm Michael, I told you. Last 15 minutes, I make all the good points. <laughs> 
I save them up. I reward people for listening the whole show or coming in waiting for Nick. That's how that's how you get rewarded. Thank you for listening and being part of the program. Uh, just real quick, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, Snickers, Twix, Kit Kat, M&M's, Nerds, Butterfinger, Sour Patch Kids, Skittles, and Hershey Bars. Those are the best candies. Hope you've had a wonderful night. Have a great Halloween. I will be back with you uh, next week on Friday uh, in this show. If not before, you never know where you'll catch me. Nick DiGilio coming up after the news at 1. Michael, thank you for all your help tonight. Thanks to all our lovely guests. You'll be able to uh, catch all of that on podcast. 